navigating the datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to episode 29 of the Datascape podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley. The advancements in AI and ML from the major tech companies continues to impress me. Recently, at Microsoft Build, several updates to the cognitive services were announced. I'd been introduced to cognitive services a year or two ago at a Microsoft Cloud bootcamp and was very impressed with how capable the APIs were and how easy to use they are. So today we're going to discuss Microsoft's cognitive services as well as the updates that came from the Build conference. I've invited Warner Chavez, a Datascape podcast and Cloudscape podcast regular back to the show to walk us through it. Hey, Warner, how's it going? Hey, Chris, how's it going? Glad to be back in the Datascape. Talk about, uh, you know, leading edge stuff, really. I don't think you ever leave, Warner. It's great to have you. So let's start by defining it. What are Microsoft's cognitive services? So cognitive services are cloud-powered services from Microsoft. So they live in Azure. And what they do is that they provide different types of AI capabilities to be consumed as an API. Right. So the whole goal of the cognitive services is that you do not have to be an AI expert. You don't have to roll your own image recognition or object identification, detection, classification, you know, text sentiment analysis and so on. All these other things that we now have under the AI umbrella. You don't have to know how to roll them on your own. You don't have to even train your models. What you do is you simply consume all the work that Microsoft has already done in this field through these APIs, right? So that is really the goal here of cognitive services is to make it really easy to implement AI capabilities into either your analytics or into your customer facing apps or wherever you feel like you wanna have those capabilities without having to understand the internals of how these services or these type of really advanced AI capabilities are built. Okay, and so are they just tied to your Azure subscription? So you subscribe to the services and the different services have different models of how they are priced, for example. And then what you basically get is like a key to use them, right? Because it's all API based, right? So there's nothing that you're literally hosting yourself. What you're getting is, let's say, like a token that gives you permission to consume Microsoft's compute power to deliver those API services, right? So if I like, for example, check online real quick on pricing, we can see that, let's say for example, the if you want auto-suggest search capabilities, then they'll charge you, let's say $3 for 10,000 transactions, right? And if you're interested in something else, for example, if I look right now at the face API, which is the facial recognition in images API, you actually have several thousands of calls that you can get for free, which is another really cool thing, right? Some of these APIs, because Microsoft wants to, you know, get the ball rolling and build momentum around them, they have free tiers. So you don't start paying until you consume, you know, let's say more than X thousand calls. So for example, at the Face API, you can use the free tier and it's 30,000 transactions free per month. Wow. Right? So the idea here is to get you rolling with the service. And obviously, if you want to, 
you know, entice a developer to just go in, play around, then basically they can satisfy their curiosity for free, right? Just get in on the free tier and start to develop. Once you're ready to really roll, then you can start to think about paying for the services, right? But no, like to your actual question from the beginning, there's nothing that you host. You just have to code against the APIs themselves. Okay, that's really neat. Why don't we walk through some of the cognitive services and we'll talk about each one and we can include some of the build announcements as well. And we'll start with, say, Vision. So what is the Vision service? So the Vision service is the one that will allow you to identify and analyze the content of images and also videos. Right. So that's why it's obviously called the vision service that includes uh, computer vision, includes face recognition. There's a few really nice capabilities that are now in preview that were did come out out of the build conference, like the video indexer. There's also what's called a custom vision. So you can develop your own image analyzer and uh, there, you have to think about, you know, how do you implement these things? into your application, right? For example, we have the very specific term of, you know, you want to do image recognition, right? But then because some of these use cases become some, so popular that Microsoft themselves put them as part of the service. So to give you an example, now the cognitive services has a, an API to do content moderation, right? So to find if somebody, for example, on an online forum is suddenly posting inappropriate images, right? That can be identified by the computer as you're uploading and automatically not let you post them, right? So that's now, that's content moderation. Now, before you would have to like think, oh, well, I need a content moderation plugin or whatever. Now you obviously have this content moderation API that was built by Microsoft and you can just consume from it, right? And if you think about it, content moderation is really just a use case of general image recognition, right? So I really think that some of these really popular use cases, Microsoft is probably going to build on them. But really the power of this, uh, for example, this vision API is for people to take their own data and then think about what they can build with it, right? Especially because, I mean, images is one of the most common things that that we accumulate as non-structured data. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. And and yeah, I saw the vision service, a demo of it, and it it was really neat. They put a picture of a, a child, and it was it, it was commenting on the, all of the properties of the picture. So it identified it as a little girl, a little boy, and they were wearing this and wearing that. It was it was cool. The other use I'm kind of wondering here is to uh, <laughs> could it be used to circumvent the uh, captcha images? You know, say you have oh, you build a <laughs> I don't I can't even tell what it's saying half the time. <laughs> Sometimes I don't, yeah. And then you have to refresh the captures like ten times to finally get an image. You're like, Oh, I can finally understand what it says. There is probably somebody out there that is already trying to solve the capture problem. That person is probably a bot programmer that is, you know, just wants to spam a lot of people. I would assume that yeah, there's gotta be I mean if like everything, right? If if it's something that we humans can solve mechanically, then there's likely a way that there's an AI solution for it, right? So you mentioned improved OCR support and video indexing. Was there any more given about the improvements it built? Well, for example, the video indexer is a very cool idea because you feed a video. And another thing, video is one of those other media types where companies sometimes accumulate a lot of it, but have 
very hard time extracting information from them, right? They, we accumulate a lot of it, but we have a hard time actually mining and getting uh, some sort of competitive advantage from collecting all this video, right? So this video indexer, I think, is a very good first step in trying to do that, right? Trying to just basically say, hey, you don't have to learn all these advanced image and video recognition techniques to try to get value out of your videos. Just use this video indexer service, for example, right? So the video indexer can detect faces in the video. So let's say if you and I were in like doing a presentation and you presented for a certain amount of time and then I went into the presentation later on, then the video indexer can actually tell you, hey, you know, the Chris Presley, he starts at this point of the video and then you can just skip to like the part where you presented or, you know, Warner starts at this part of the video, then we just skip to the part where I presented type of thing, right? So it can detect those things. You can boost it even more to detect, for example, if there's a change of a scene or if there's some sort of activity happening. For example, let's say you have tons of security footage and usually if you, let's say it's like an overnight video that's for hours, right? Most of the frames are going to be very static until something happens, right? So that kind of stuff can be easily indexed with this service as well. And then it allows you to extract metadata, for example, once you have them on. And it does the same with audio. So, you know, even for people that are recording podcasts, if you talk about a specific topic, the indexer will let you know, oh, they're in these minutes they were talking about these two or three topics, right? Okay. Thinking back to the video indexer, and, and I know you don't you know, work on cognitive services for Microsoft, so I don't expect you to know, but let's say that we had security footage and we were investigating an employee who was accused of uh, um, stealing. And, you know, maybe we even know the merchandise that's, that's missing from the warehouse. Is it good enough that you can, so it said, you said it can identify faces. So it could, if the employee's name was Jim, you know, certainly we could look for times that Jim was in the warehouse. But could we also say that Jim touched the box of widgets? Is it that good? Oh, I, no, it's not that advanced yet, right? That would be pretty cool. <laughs> that, I'll tell the, the Microsoft dev team that you want it for V2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right now, it's just, it tags faces, objects, scenes, or, or activity. In, okay. in the Which is still huge. Like, but it doesn't I, go as far as to say, like, you know, you can't tie them all together and say, I want the part where, you know, Warner picked up the water glass. Okay. But I'm sure it won't be long. Um, it can't be, you know, faces it are hard not to recognize. Sound like, yeah, it does not sound like it would be something that would not happen at some point. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's really cool stuff. What about the knowledge API? So the knowledge API is basically a way to try to put some structure into, right now it's mostly into text, really, right? So what it does is that, for example, the, and the Knowledge API right now, really what it contains is what is called a Q&A maker. And it's put into its separate category because the Knowledge API, what it tries to do is that it tries to put order into something that is just, raw, let's call it, right? So right now, you could think of in the future, maybe the Knowledge API would be expanded into something more than just text, right? Because we could see something like, uh, even to your previous question about the video, right? Maybe into the Knowledge API, they'll have something like, hey, uh, you can just uh, upload a video, and if there's um, a way to do something in the video or like a how-to or something like that, maybe the Knowledge API will understand it. But right now, it's basically 
to analyze text and to be able to organize and structure tests. So for example, you can give it a text and it can try to create a Q&A from it. Okay. Right? So it will generate questions and answers from what you're talking about in the text. Okay. Right? So that's just basically... So we could, throw the, right we could throw the, the, say, the transcript of the, well, bad example, one of your recent blog posts about Cosmos TB. So we could, where you're talking about a thing, we could throw the knowledge API at that and it'll generate a Q&A from there? Yeah. So example, let's say I wrote a blog post about Azure SQL database, right? And then I just say like, well, Azure SQL database is Microsoft blah, blah, blah service. And mm-hmm. The Azure SQL database, you can purchase it in these uh, three different tiers, blah, blah, blah. And then I continue my blog post. So then I feed it to the knowledge API. And what it's going to do is going to reformat that text in a way that is a Q&A, right? So it's going to say, what is Azure SQL DB? And then it's going to give me the answer that I put in the blog post. And it's going to say, what are the different tiers of Azure SQL DB? And then it's going to give, again, the answer that is found there in the text, right? And, and the whole idea there... In a blog post, it's probably a lot easier to, you know, consume in a way that this might not be as necessary. But I feel like it might be much more useful when companies have a really big amount of just raw texts. And usually people are just looking into answering questions for it. But they don't really want to, they don't know what the answer is, right? So they can't really search for the answer. Uh-huh. They just know what the question is, right? Does that make sense? Right? Like if I was searching for Azure SQL DB and the tiers, but they don't know what the name of the tiers are, then for somebody it might be more natural to just ask, you know, what are the different tiers of Azure SQL DB to find my blog post. Right. 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 Okay. I was, yeah, actually I was really struggling to find the practical application for it till you, till you got to that last one. What about, I don't know if this is a good case or not, but, you know, taking, say, legal precedent documentation, like about legal cases that have gone before the court, could you, you know, maybe throwing that at the Knowledge API and then generating the Q&A from there? Would that, you know, maybe help people look for precedents that have been set from other cases? Yeah, well, I, I don't really know how people do research for legal cases. Anything, like I said, anything where people will have an easier time formulating questions then it is a good fit for the Knowledge API or anything where it's just, you know, let's say it's just a massive wall of text and you don't even know where to start with it, mm-hmm. which if you're actually, and that's a good point for what you're saying, because sometimes research is like that, right? Especially if you're researching something where you have to go through lots of text data and you don't really know exactly what you're looking for, at least with the Knowledge API, you will get some sort of structure out of it, right? Right. It might not be completely to uh, what a human would do, but it will give you a starter point, right, with the Q&A maker. I guess the the other thing that it could be used for is if you have a long policy document, say employee policy, or it could be anything, a policy in a financial institution about how to do a certain thing, you know, and it's a couple, 20 or 30 pages generating. That's a really good, yeah, that's a really good example. Because I mean, just think about like last, you know, last time I renewed my credit card, they sent me like this 40 page booklet of all these, you know, terms and conditions on my credit card. And it's like, well, where's the FAQ in the end, right? Right. (laughs) There isn't. Right. But, uh, but I don't want to read 40 pages of the whole thing if I just have like a specific question, right? Maybe this is a really good use case for, for a Q&A maker. 
Okay, that sounds pretty neat. I'm sure the credit card companies won't uh, be crazy about it. It'd be interesting to throw a couple of EULAs at it as well and see what you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on continuing on that theme, let's talk about uh, the language service. Tell us more about that one. So the language service, again, it, it is a related to mostly consuming uh, text, but it's not so much about doing like a reorganization of it, like with the Knowledge API. It's more about, for example, you know, classic stuff that you would do with text. For example, you can do automated text translations, right? You can do automatic language detection. Like, for example, when you go to uh, translation pages and they don't really ask you what you're going to talk in, they just say start typing and they figure out that you're translating from English to Spanish or the other way around because you can actually do automatic language detection, right? If you want to have this in your application, then again, it just means you just easily consume the API and you don't have to roll something like that on your own. Another cool thing that it does, and then this is not, it's kind of similar to the Knowledge API. The Knowledge API really wants to, like I said, restructure the text, but the Language API has some text analytics that allow you to pick entities from text or extract key phrases from text as well. And of course, to do the sentiment analysis, which everybody has done or has seen at this point a demo of Twitter being streamed to the cloud to do sentiment analysis, right? So that is the kind of stuff that you will build with the language API. At the same time, like I mentioned before to you, they want to take popular use cases like content moderation and turn those into APIs. So content moderation is also in the language API. So if somebody is using swear words on an online forum where those are not allowed, the language API can help you filter those out. Hmm, Okay. What about the speech service? Well, and then the speech service is about translating audio, right, into something. So it can do text-to-speech or back, right? So if you want to do something like uh, have some sort of capability in your app where somebody can just dictate something and then you save that, or if you want to do the other way around, if you want to be something accessible where you know people that have some issues with their site, maybe they want to be read to, then you can use that API as well. It also has speech translation. So you know how we just talked about language API can do text translation. Well, the speech API can do speech translation. So you know it's spoken word, it's not just text, right? And then it can do other cool things. Like, for example, I was just mentioning about uh, the podcast, right? It can do uh, speaker identification and speaker verification as well. So if we're, you know, we always watch in those sci-fi movies where somebody just says something to the computer and it recognizes them through their voice and unlocks the computer or whatever. Well, you can do that if you wanted to with the speech API. Okay. That was actually my next question, which was around the complexity, because, you know, if it just, and I say just, this is still an amazing achievement, but if it just turns audio into words, say of this podcast, it's not the most useful transcription because somebody still has to do a lot of work to figure out who said what. So you're telling me that it can say Warner said this, then Chris said that? Exactly. Yeah. It'll tell, like, for example, you'll have to feed it some training stuff, right? To be able to say who's who. And then and it can identify um, when which speaker is talking. Okay, that's neat. I can see a bunch of applications uh, for that sort of thing. And you mentioned also a search API. Tell us more about that one. 
So the search API is basically just adding all the stuff that exists today as Bing. And we all know that Microsoft has struggled for years, obviously, to take any search, um, like public internet-facing search, uh, mind share out of Google, right? But now, I mean, if they already have all this running, why not try to monetize in a different way, right? And to make it a really easy-to-use API if you want to augment your search capabilities in your own application, right? So with the search API, basically what you're using is you're using Bing under the covers, but you don't have to, you know, feel yourself just restrained by what, uh, let's say, comparison to Google, because it's inside your app, right? Your users don't even have to know that you're using Bing under the covers. You're just consuming the search API inside Cognitive Services, right? And inside that, inside that API, you can do just a regular web search, you can do visual search, right? Like we can do uh, where you say, I'm uploading a picture of a red Ferrari, and then it shows you a bunch of similar pictures with red Ferraris kind of thing. It can do a new searching. So if you want to have something like that inside your application, let's say you're building like a stock trading app or something like that. And you want to have, when you search for a ticker, you also want to have the latest news of the day for that particular company. You could build that with a Bing news search. Or if you want to, let's say, building like a fantasy sports uh, application. And when somebody searches for a player, you want to see if there was something about that player in the news lately, stuff like that, right? It also has uh, video search as well, which is similar to the video search you have now on the web, right? You can tell, you know, video, and then it'll just go and look into YouTube, Vimeo, or whatever other public sites are there right now for for just uploading video, right? Okay, so that, all these are for basically enriching search capabilities inside your applications. That sounds really powerful, especially when, when you pull them all together. Do you know if the services are available in Azure Stack at all, or is it a pure Azure play? That's a really good question. I think right now they're probably just available inside Azure. I don't think they're available in Azure Stack right now. I think a lot of it is due to the fact that these are not might not be the easiest to port on-prem. Right. Because, I mean, well, in the terms of search, we know that it's using really big data sets that are part of Bing. So those will be just, you know, not really feasible to move them on prem. Right. Some of the other stuff, I could see how with enough compute, you can probably have them on prem. Like, for example, the speech translation and the speech intelligence stuff. If, if you have enough compute and memory on prem, you could probably run them locally. But as far as I know, they are. They are cloud only. I don't know if they would have any plan to move into Azure Stack, right? Okay. Let's talk about the competition in this space. Who are some of the key competitors to the services? Well, you can always roll, say that you know you can roll things on your own, right? I would say probably that is one of the big competitive issues that Microsoft has. But for sure, I mean, Amazon and Google have uh, similar services. Google is also very popular for having TensorFlow as well, which has put them pretty much like very much at the front of the machine learning part. But this is not necessarily machine learning, right? This cognitive services is literally what the name says, right? It's for cognitive operations inside your application, right? It's always looking to do something with text or do something with speech or do something with image, right? Something that's related to how we communicate or how we process something with our senses, right? So I think 
that focus and what do we say, like the ease of use in terms of development is probably where Microsoft can get its competitive advantage. And just before we came to record today, I checked this morning to see which ones were all the different languages that they were building on the documentation for. And right now, they have C Sharp, they have Java, they have Python, and they have uh, JavaScript examples online. Okay, so let's say you you know you you hadn't heard of this before. You're listening to this podcast. You're pretty impressed. How do you get started, and what kinds of things could you use them for? I think when it's related to AI, I mean, it is a very new field, and we think about all these really interesting things that machines can do today, but we don't really know where really they will fit in our application, right? So that's where people have to start getting a bit more creative and think about the many things that they do today, sometimes manually, for example, that they could automate with these APIs, right? For example, if you're having something like humans inspect merchandise or products for defects before they get shipped or when they get returned, things like this, you think, well, could I replace this with, you know, we take pictures from multiple angles and then we throw them through OCR. Would that, the cost of developing that, could that offset the cost of humans doing these inspections manually, for example, right? It's all, I, I find that, so there's several different ways or angles to approach it, automation is definitely one of them, right? Because a lot of what we do humans is is just based on that, right? We have processed some sort of information and we produce some sort of decision, right? And, and now the machines can process some of this information just as well as we do. The other thing that I find has a really good use case is when we want to provide our users with really customized experience when they're dealing with our applications. Right. So sometimes, for example, oh, the, the easiest one is to see, for example, that even in our in our iPhones today, we already have all these face detection algorithms, right? Because it makes it so much easier for us to just click and say, show me all the pictures where I am with my wife. And then I can just immediately, it looks for them and shows them to me, right? So whenever we want to learn or really give the user a customizable and really personal experience, I find that if you think about it hard enough, you probably find some really creative use cases for these APIs, right? So so those are two that I see right now, definitely automation and customizing the experience really tightly for the users, right? And the sooner people think about these, the better, right? This is the market that is just pretty much being born right now, but it has some very aggressive projections, right? I was uh, reading about it just a few days ago, and some of the big research shops, you know, the foresters or the gardeners in the world, they think that by 2025, uh, AI-based work, building AI-based solutions in the market is going to be in the tens of billions, right? The the amount of revenue that can be taken from it, right? So it is not it's not a field that is shrinking, right? That's for sure. It's a field that is pretty much just being born right now to be used for mass adoption. And stuff like this, like these cognitive services, to me, it seems like this is the easiest way to bring it into adoption inside any any organization, right? Yeah. Because you don't have to learn how they work under the covers. 
And I'm always going to get some purist that is going to be like, well, but, you know, I am a PhD in artificial intelligence. And how dare these people just use an API? And but well, that doesn't matter. The market wants people to be able to build these things at scale and to not have to know all these specific things, right? Yep. That's the good thing about it. That's yeah. the good thing about the cloud, right? It, it empowers anybody to add AI to their applications. Yeah, no, and I, I think that I think that's true. And I know, again, I know that there are other services offered. It's not just Microsoft, but I think the opportunity to integrate AI into into our applications is incredible. I, like, why wouldn't you want to analyze your customer? But since since many organizations are recording the calls that take place between every time you call in to change your address or check your balance or, or, or just phone your credit card company, they're recording it. Why wouldn't you run sentiment analysis on, on that and see how you are as a customer and then try and run promotions against you or if you're happy or sad too or, or upset too, but also evaluating, say, call center staff performance. You know, they used to do it. I had a, a, quite a background in writing code and reports and apps and call centers before pre-Pythian. And they, they would manually listen to spot check the calls and manually listen to some of the calls. And that, that was several people's jobs, including the supervisors. You know, we, we don't have to do that anymore. That, that's probably pretty boring work. So why not have cognitive services? That's a really that good morning? point that you have. That's a really good point that you're making because it's all about creatively using these APIs, like I mentioned. Now that you're mentioning this about these gruntled calls, well, you can use the content moderation API to flag the calls where a customer was swearing at a call center person. Absolutely. Like a supporter or something like that, right? Absolutely. And then immediately you can escalate that call without any human intervention. Yeah, no, absolutely. Or instead of, you know, that is, I, I actually worked on a help desk many, many years ago. And, you know, sometimes clients would be really upset and inappropriate on, on the call. Nothing to do with me. Just, you know, that's the way they're feeling today. And, you know, it's pretty uncomfortable to tell someone, hey, you're behaving inappropriately on this call. But, you know, why not have the machine do it for you? Just terminate the call and have the machine. Well, uh, yeah. No, if that's management policy, you can actually just do that automatically. Yeah, yeah. Just hang up the phone and just play a recorded message that says, yeah. hey, work hanging up on you until you come down a little bit feel free to call us. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. policy violation, right? Nobody should have to take that from anybody, any abuse of that nature. But, you know, and a lot of people are really paranoid and terrified that AI is going to take their jobs. And, and I think AI is going to take jobs. Well, we know it is. I don't think that's uh, disputable. But I do see that the, it's taking away a lot of the boring work that people don't want to do anyway. And so having these services. Yeah, I agree. And that's uh, like I said, automation and personalization to me are the big two use cases at this point today that we can do with these easy to consume APIs. And that's probably where I would start. If I were to just do one of our discovery engagements with a company where we try to tell them, here's where we think, you know, the low hanging fruit is, that's definitely where we start in those two key pillars, I would say. The other thing is, uh, you know, at the end of the day, our podcast is called Datascape. There is a lot of data, like I mentioned at the beginning. People store a lot of text, people store a lot of images, and people store a lot of audio and a lot of video. That then after the fact, they have a really hard time analyzing them at scale, right? Because this is the other thing, like I mentioned. You just have to use the API, and if you have the desire this month to analyze 10,000 documents, you just call the API 10,000 times, and you paid for that, and that's it. You don't have to go and, and on-prem, what do you do? Oh, we need now, we need a speech processing server. So who's going to create it? Who's going to configure it? Like, you know, it's just, it makes no sense compared to just consuming one of these APIs, right? Right. 
Now, how fast are they? Like, are, are you able to do real-time sentiment analysis of, say, a phone call? Yeah, you can. If you have enough bandwidth for it, I would say, you can definitely do real-time. It also does, actually, it also does real-time speech translation, okay. right? So obviously, it's not... There's probably going to be a few seconds delay on that, but there is the capability to do that. What about the video analysis? Is that is that also real time? I haven't played around with the video one enough to to you know really figure out if it's real time. I don't think so because last time I used the video indexer, it did take a few minutes to give me the analysis for it. Okay. So that that in particular is not in real time, but like I said, if you have a ton of uh, video information and you're just struggling like where do i even start if i want to extract something from it you can still use a service like this and you yeah you'll wait but you know it's better than not well, having so. anything at all to do it right <laughs> well the, the fact that we're talking about minutes here is incredible in and of itself right like, like there's so much you can do you're just thinking of your security uh, example you know uh, using the translation, the video uh, services to, to look for things to look at. Because otherwise, again, in the case of security, you wait until you know something's happened, and then you have to go through the video and try and find whatever happened. But being able to use, the, use this, you don't necessarily have to wait. You can look for key events of unauthorized people in certain areas of a building, for example. Yeah. It would be a great security for airports. Uh, well, and, and, yeah, and at the at the danger of sounding like you know we're designing Big Brother here, <laughs> but you can mix and match a lot of this information, right? You could put uh, video stuff through the video indexer and tie that to a face API to pictures and tie that to speech API. So when somebody talks, you can even pull up their videos and pull up their faces and 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 this doesn't have to be just people right you could do this for let's say if you have very expensive machinery that gets transported right or if you have a fleet of vehicles and you want to know when they came in or, or out of the warehouse all this kind of stuff right you can build it with these apis without having to worry about again all the actual nuts and bolts under them, right? Right, right. And, you know, I actually have some really good Big Brother examples that I'm not going to share because I'd rather take a positive spin on this and, and say, you know, from a safety perspective, you know, if you if you have an airplane in a hangar and you record the maintenance that's being performed, you can ensure that, you know, uh, someone checked the nuts on the, air, the landing gear. So, yep, okay, we saw somebody, you know, the thing could check off all of the different aspects of the airplane that were checked for safety. That's very interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting because there's also an anomaly detection that is a general anomaly detector for cognitive services that is currently being incubated, right? So we could say something like what you just said, like this is how you are supposed to review the, I don't know, the cabling of a Rolls-Royce jet engine, right? And you do it once, you show it to the computer, and then Somebody does it again, and then you obviously will have to work to train it whether it was okay or it was wrong. But eventually, over time, after seeing enough correct inspections, it'll be able to flag whether this guy didn't do it right. Right. And right. then you can apply that to many other different general use cases. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually exciting, uh, you know, from a safety perspective. Uh, the more safe we can make any any transportation, the better. Yep, Absolutely. Well, I think that we've done, a, and again, I know that it's not just Microsoft that has these services. So what did impress me, though, I just want to underline this, is how easy to use these were. I can't speak for the others because I haven't used them. But when I was at this boot camp, I mean, they gave us the code, and it was as simple as pretty much 
point uh, for the vision one and it wasn't as good because it was a few years ago it was like point the uh, update the path to your photos update the subscription id for your azure subscription change a few other parameters and boom you were you were taking your photos and throwing them against the vision api and getting result sets back in it it was really neat yeah absolutely it has come a long way and like i said uh, my call to action for this podcast would be for people that are really interested in this and they think that there's something here that they should pursue. Think about those things. Think about the type of data that you're collecting today, but you're having a hard time turning into information. And think about whether any of these services can make that conversion simple, right? By using either the speech, the text, the image, the video indexing. Can you easily turn all that data that you're collecting today into actual information that you know, you can use for your competitive advantage. Yeah, that's a great tip, Warner. I think we've done a good job of covering cognitive services. I hope that you found uh, today's podcast interesting. I know it's a little bit different one from the norm, uh, but this stuff is really neat. You know, definitely get out there and play with it and think about how you can integrate this into your the apps you're building right now. So as usual, that's all the time we have for today, folks. If you want to stay up to date on the latest features and changes for GCP, Azure and AWS, you can always check us out on the Cloudscape podcast where we summarize and tell you what the most interesting ones are each month. You can get the Cloudscape anywhere you get your podcast. The biggest compliment you can give us is certainly telling others about the podcasts and where to find us. We love your feedback and you can send that over to datascapepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day in the Datascape. Navigating the Datascape. 